Okay, so today we are reading the entirety of Ruth chapter 2 for the uninitiated that is between Judges and 1 Samuel. So I'll give you a second to flick or scroll or however you do it to find yourself Ruth. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, what is, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is a Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you, and whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to find, take refuge. May I continue to favor, may I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You've put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an effar. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead, she added. That man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they, f they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the woman of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Thanks, David. <clears throat> Well, 
Uh, my guess is that over the last couple of years, most, I reckon most of us at some point have probably felt like we're running a little bit on empty. Um, has, has anyone else sort of kind of uh, have that experience, especially over the last couple of years? Uh, here's my take on the last few years. I reckon 2020 was, it was the year that it was, that it was 2020. Uh, but in some ways, everyone was kind of pitching in, it was crazy, we were all thrust into this situation, and there was a kind of energy and creativity about 2020. And then we started 2021, this is my experience at least, and everyone sort of felt positive <laughs> about, you know, we sort of thought, oh, okay, 2020 is behind us, now we've got 2021 and we can get back to life as normal. And in some ways, last year, I think was actually a harder year than 2020, as we kind of hit that slow grind of dealing with COVID, um, uh, and uh, then, when we, then we get, when we get to 2022, well, I, I've sort of given up trying to predict things. Um, we, we've had all of that, and of course, on top of all that, laid on top of all that, are the particular responsibilities and trials that each of us bear and have borne. It makes me pretty confident that most of us will know something of that feeling of just being spent, <laughs> of just being empty having nothing in the tank. Well, Ruth is a story about emptiness. Ruth is a story about emptiness. The story leads to fullness, but it starts with this really tragic account of one woman's emptiness. You would have uh, read that last week in chapter one. You know the story, right? Uh, so this Israelite family from Bethlehem, they move away from God's promised land, they move to another country, Moab, because of this famine. A tragedy strikes by verse five, all three men in the family have died. Uh, Naomi is left a grieving and destitute widow in a foreign land. Uh, by the end of the chapter, she's returned to Bethlehem, but it's not a happy reunion, if you remember that from the end of last week's passage. Uh, she says in verse 21, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. The Lord has brought me back empty. So Naomi feels spent. <laughs> uh, she also feels bitter, if you remember that. Um, she's angry at God for what has happened to her. Uh, she feels all this kind of goodness and joy have been taken from her. You, as you read the story, as, us as readers though, as we're kind of reading through that chapter, we can see something else going on, right? Uh, we can see that the reality is she hasn't actually come back empty, has she? She hasn't, in, but in the dark cloud of her grief, she can't yet see it, but she has returned to Bethlehem with this incredible, precious jewel, this gift, her daughter-in-law, Ruth the Moabite. Ruth, who, if you remember, clung to her, uh, who has come home with her to her land and to her God. Uh, so this, this chapter, chapter one, finishes with this sliver of hope probably saw that last week, right at the end of the chapter. There's this, just this sliver of hope. Uh, verse 22, if you, at the end of the chapter, if you've got your Bibles, you can look at that. Uh, so it says, so, so Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law. Well, there's this other sliver right at the end, the very last little bit of the, the chapter. This other sliver of hope, they arrive in Bethlehem, just as the barley harvest is beginning. There's, there's some glimpse of hope or that maybe there's some fullness available here. Some glimpse of hope. Some fullness, at least for their stomachs. 
Uh, but there, there's more though. Uh, and as you head into chapter two, uh, the whole chapter begins with this verse introducing a new character. Uh, ver- uh, chapter two, verse one. Now Naomi had, I'm just gonna work through the passage. Uh, I'm not sure if it'll, if you have Bibles open, that's probably gonna be helpful for you. Um, yeah, so uh, verse one of chapter two. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. So he's this other sliver of hope. It's just a sliver at this point. Uh, there's uh, Naomi and Ruth come to Bethlehem and there's a relative in town, in town. And he's a good guy. He's called this man of standing. It's a weird title. Sound, I think it sounds a little bit like his superhero name. Boaz, man of standing. Uh, but there's more going on. It's not just that he can stand for a really long amount of time. Uh, There's more going on with this little phrase. It's describing something significant about him. It's describing someone who is respected in his community, um, someone with influence and wealth. But it's just dropped in here, right, at the start of this chapter. It's just dropped in. um, This as as kind of a taster for what's to come. And then as soon as you get, if I was introduced, you go back to Ruth and Naomi in verse two. The scene cuts back to them. Verse two. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. You notice how it's Ruth who kicks into action at this point. They've come back from Moab. Ruth, who uh, is a stranger, a foreigner, she's come into this place. It's, it's not Naomi, even though it's her hometown. Perhaps you know what it is to be paralyzed by uh, depression or grief. I, I think that's probably Naomi's experience here. She just doesn't have it in her to initiate anything at this point. Uh, she's, she simply gives Ruth permission to go and try to find some food to keep them alive, just something to to fill their bellies. And do you notice too how it's highlighted here that Ruth is a Moabite, and you get this all through the chapter. It's kind of unnecessary, but it highlights it again and again and again. Here's this woman, the Moabite. Uh, It's like we're being reminded all through again and again, here's someone who's an outsider, who doesn't fit. She's a widow from a foreign country, And as we sort of saw in the kids' talk, it's a country that was actually an enemy of the people of Israel, um, hostile towards them. But Ruth takes initiative. She goes looking for something to fill up their empty stomachs. And it seems that as she does so, she knows something of the law of God that he gave to his people Israel. Uh, See, in this culture, farmers would gather their grain in, from their fields, they'd do it by hand, and, and there'd be grain that would fall onto the ground after them as they went along. Uh, and God had set up this rule in Israel that when that happened, when they were kind of going along, collecting up the grain, the farmers weren't to go back over it again and pick up the leftover grain, the grain that had fallen down. They were, they were supposed to leave it on the ground intentionally so that anyone who was poor or needy uh, could come and pick it up after. It, after it's sort of like this social welfare system that was in place. Um, there's places in the Old Testament that you read of this. Um, Leviticus 19 says, um, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings, that's the bits that drop over, 
of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time and pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am Yahweh, the Lord your God. Well, Deuteronomy 24 says, uh, when you're harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, don't go back for it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from the trees, don't go back over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, the widow. When you harvest your grapes in your vineyard, don't go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. They know what it is to be foreigners come into, this, into a new land. They know what it is to be in need. The Lord says, this is why I command you to do this. So Ruth heads off, right, to, to gather grain, the gleanings that had fallen. Probably pretty scared, I imagine, feeling really out of place and vulnerable. But it seems like she's, she's heading off knowing something about this practice in Israel, this, this at least what was supposed to be happening according to God's law. Her heading off is in a way, it's actually an expression of her young faith in Naomi's God, in Yahweh. She's trusting that this land of God's promise is going to live up to what it was promised to be, what God's law said it should be. So she goes out in verse three, and she goes into the, just, just goes into a random field, just goes into a random field and starts picking up the scraps of grain. And there's this great line in verse three, it's, beautiful, it's so beautifully written, it says, and as it turned out, as it turned out, it just so happened, as luck would have it, she wanders into the field of none other than the man of standing, <laughs> than Boaz. It's, I think it's beautifully written. Uh, and I think we're supposed to read that and think, okay, as it turned out, it just so happened, as luck would have it, uh, is, is, is this really blind chance going on here? Ruth just got lucky. <laughs> I think we're meant to read it and think, no, Ruth, it's not luck that's going on here. It's not just coincidence. All through this chapter, we're meant to see behind it all the hidden and loving hand of God. Ruth goes out seeking, but all the while, God is actually directing her without her even realizing it. She comes to this particular field of this particular man. And then in verse four, there's, there's another coincidence, right? Uh, just then, just then, just as Ruth is at work, surprise, surprise, Boaz himself turns up, shows up, Boaz arrives. And you see straight away with Boaz as he comes into this field, he's, he's a man of standing. It's not just that he's uh, high on the social ladder, it's not just that he's wealthy and well-respected. Uh, it's a description of his character too not just his bank account or his um, standing in society. It's a description of his character. Uh, he has a he's a man of conviction. Uh, he has a genuine faith in Yahweh. Look, uh, look at the first thing that comes out of his mouth. He, he walks into his field and he says to his workers, the Lord, Yahweh, the Lord be with you. And presumably this is how we'd normally greet them because they answer back as if by script, uh, what do they say? The, um, the Lord bless you. 
The Lord bless you. I reckon this is even more surprising, this, this figure of this, this particular field, this particular man. I think it's even more surprising when you think about the, the setting of Ruth, the context of Ruth. Uh, you, you might have picked up last week, the very first verse of the whole book gives us the setting, what's going on at the time. It's written in the time of the judges, in the time of the judges. And if you know anything about the time of the judges, it was a really dark time, a time when everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. Uh, the people of Israel, on the whole, forgot the Lord and forgot his word. So here, Ruth has landed in the field of this guy, who, he, he, she just so happened to land there, <laughs> uh, this guy who stands out from the world around him in just about every way. But Ruth stands out to Boaz too. As you read on, you pick that up. She sort of, he notices her in verse five, he asks about her, and his overseer replies in verse six, oh, she's the Moabite. No name, she's just the Moabite, the outsider, who has come back from Moab with Naomi. So apparently news has traveled fast, small town, everyone knows what Ruth, who Ruth is and what she's done. Uh, everyone knows about it. So as soon as Boaz hears this, oh, it's, this, is, this is her who's come back with Naomi. He, 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 what, does she, what does he do? Uh, he goes up to her. As soon as she, he finds out who she is, he goes up to her in verse eight. Now I think we've gotta be a little bit careful about how we read this. I don't think there's romance in the air at this point. Um, we're building a picture, uh, if you know the story of Ruth, you know kind of where it leads. <laughs> but we're building a picture of this man, Boaz, He's a man of strength and kindness. Uh, he's heard all about what Ruth has done and what she's done for Naomi, how she left her country and family in Moab. Uh, she came with Naomi uh, to her land and her people and her God. Uh, and he urges her not to go anywhere else but to stay in his field. And here I think you see that dark background of the judges as well. He says, don't go anywhere else. Stay, uh, he, he wants to protect this vulnerable woman. He's even given special particular instructions to his men, they're not to lay a hand on her, and they're to let her have a drink of water whenever she wants. So th there is a kind of hint of threat in the background going on here. Uh, Ruth is vulnerable, but Boaz uses his strength to protect and provide for her. And Ruth is just bowled over by this. She's overwhelmed by this act of kindness from Boaz. Uh, verse 10, she bows down and asks him, I, I think with wonder in her voice, why? Why have you done, why have I found such favor, such grace, such undeserved kindness? in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner. But for Boaz, so she doesn't get it, like she's like, it doesn't make sense. But for Boaz, it's clear for him why, it's totally clear. She's in awe of his kindness, but there's a kind of a level at which he's in awe of her as well, and her kindness and what she's done. He's heard about all she's done, all she's given up. But Boaz sees something really interesting here. Uh, if you've got, got it there, down in verse 12. He, he sees that for all Ruth has given up, she's actually gained the best thing. 
for all that she's given up, she's actually come under the loving kindness of the Lord God of Israel. So he prays this beautiful prayer for her in verse 12. He says, may the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. He sees that Ruth has actually gained the best thing to come under the wings of God. And I'm not sure if Boaz is conscious of it here, but as you keep reading, you find out that he actually, and it's already been happening, he actually starts to become the answer to his own prayer for Ruth. (laughs) He actually starts to become God's answer to his prayer that she would be richly rewarded. Um, He becomes the one God uses to spread his wings of kindness over Ruth. This unlooked for kindness towards Ruth, as you keep reading, it just, it's like it just sort of cascades, just builds up, overflows and cascades. Uh, it, it, I think it almost kind of gets comical. So Boaz calls Ruth over to eat with him uh, in verse 14. That wouldn't have normally happened. She eats all she can and she takes a doggy bag of leftovers. Uh, and then when she gets back to work, Boaz gives these special orders to his workers, um, not just to leave her alone to pick up the scraps, but he says, look, listen, if, Ruth is, if you notice Ruth is behind you, just accidentally drop a few extra sheaves as you go for her to pick up. So by the end of the day, like Ruth's sort of going through this field, by the end of the day, she's like carrying this bursting full of grain sack or something. We're not entirely sure how she got it back, but it's a huge amount that she has. It's clearly a lot, and Aoife, we're not entirely sure, but it's, it's clearly an incredible amount for one day's work, like unbelievable. God's gentle and gracious hand has been bringing about, in just a few hours for Ruth, bringing about a fullness that Ruth couldn't have dreamed of just that morning as she set out to glean in this field. She couldn't have dreamed of it. Uh, and so she gets back to Naomi. See, when she gets back to Naomi, the, the, the transformation just keeps going. Uh, she see, Naomi sees this staggering amount of grain that Ruth has brought home. And I think you can already start to see Naomi softening a little. Uh, her head possibly coming up a bit. Um, her eyes opening a little bit wider. Her heart getting just a, a little jolt of surprise at this unexpected and abundant kindness that has been shown to them. This grace. She asks in verse 19, where did you clean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So Naomi is gently and slowly being changed by, the, by Boaz's generosity. Uh, but the surprises keep coming. So Ruth tells her, tells her that she works, uh, she's been working in the field of this, this guy. I, I don't know if you've heard of him, this guy named Boaz. Uh, name, you know, she, Ruth wouldn't have, uh, that wouldn't have rung any bells for Ruth. Uh, but it means a lot to Naomi. 
And she sees more than just human kindness going on here. In verse 20, this is a wonderful verse, verse 20, she says, the Lord bless him, the Lord bless Boaz, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing kindness to the living and the dead. The Lord bless him, he has not stopped showing kindness to the living and the dead. One interesting thing to ask is, who's the he in that second sentence? The Lord bless him. He has not stopped showing kindness. He has not stopped showing his kindness. Who, is it the Lord has not stopped showing his kindness or is it Boaz has not stopped showing his kindness? It's actually not clear. And I, I think it might be that that's intentional. There's, there's a kind of overlap going on here. In this kindness of Boaz, Naomi sees directly the kindness, the loving faithfulness, the steadfast love of the Lord in and through this simple act of kindness by this one man. And what a turnaround for Naomi, right? From where she was at the end of chapter one. Uh, feeling that the Lord had turned against her, had abandoned her, had made her life very bitter, that God had sort of become an enemy to her. But this unlooked for grace has started to open her heart to the reality that actually God was always there with her. He had not stopped showing his kindness. But there's another dimension to Naomi's sort of turnaround, her transformation. I think there's another, uh, much more significant dimension. See, it wasn't just that one stand-up guy did one really kind thing on one day. That's not the fullness of Naomi's wonder and joy. That was wonderful enough. But I think there's something actually much deeper going on, and you get that in verse 20. Uh, she adds... This man, that man, is our close relative. He's one of our guardian redeemers. And this is a huge moment in Ruth. It's sort of, it's a bit of a gear change. Everything ramps up from here on in, so I look forward to the next couple of chapters. Um, see, Boaz isn't just a nice guy. <laughs> He's a guardian redeemer. He's a guardian redeemer. Uh, a redeemer is someone who, who pays a price to rescue someone pays a price to rescue someone out of slavery or out of, out of poverty. A guardian redeemer is this sort of semi, like a technical term, is this special law in Israel, again given to them by Yahweh, that it was the responsibility of a male relative to come to the rescue of a family member who was in need. Uh, and that's gonna be explored more as we go on, so I won't go into heaps of detail there. But this idea of a guardian redeemer um, this responsibility to come to the rescue of a family member in need gets filled out more. Uh, but do you see, hope is returning to Naomi as she sees the kindness of God at work. It's a huge transformation uh, just in this chapter, just in one day. But of course, the story isn't finished here. You, yeah, you, if, you, if Ruth ended at chapter two, you'd be wanting to ask, what's next, right? 
Um, Naomi tells Ruth, uh, tells this uh, to, to Ruth, Boaz is one of their guardian redeemers. That's gonna become really important as you keep reading. Uh, the chapter ends, uh, Ruth is working in the farm, she's gleaning until the barley harvest and the grain harvest, the wheat harvest is over. She's staying with her mother-in-law, which raises the question, what's gonna happen next? What's gonna happen next? The harvest's, harvest's over, they've had enough food to keep them going. What's gonna happen now that the harvest's finished? Uh, where will fullness come once the grain stops? So there are more bumps in the road before this wonderful story can reach its happy ending. And you'll read about those in the next couple of chapters. But the focus here in this chapter is on this amazing turnaround for these women, this transformation that they've experienced through the strong kindness, through the abundant grace of the Lord expressed through this redeemer, through Boaz. And I think as soon as you put it like that, (laughs) as soon as you put it like that, you can see, can't you, that there are patterns going on here that find their ultimate and wonderful and amazing fulfillment in the great redeemer, the one who pays the price to free us from our deepest poverty and our greatest need from our sin, from our lostness from God. The Redeemer whose goodness and strength is so outstanding, uh, whose grace is so abundant and overwhelming and overflowing, who provides an eternally secure refuge for all those who in humility and trust come under his wing. Boaz points us, friends, I think wonderfully and powerfully, points us to Jesus. And friends, that same gentle, powerful, transforming kindness that started to mend Naomi's broken heart, that drew Ruth the Moabite, the stranger, the outsider that drew her in, the the last person you'd think would come to the Lord. Jesus has poured out that same transforming kindness at the cross, but in a far more abundant and fuller way than Boaz ever did, he paid the ultimate price for the ultimate redemption which means he is a never-ending and abundant source of fullness, of ultimate fullness to the spiritually poor and needy who come to him. So friends, uh, perhaps you are feeling empty, maybe you've gone through ups and downs the last, um, through the COVID season for a whole range of reasons, Perhaps you are empty today. Where will you go for fullness? Where will you go for fullness? Uh, We're all seekers. We all are looking to be filled up. Um, We look to that, uh, to success, to security, to love, to any number of things. But what we need most is redemption from our spiritual emptiness, from our slavery to sin, 
from our lostness without God. And you can come to Jesus today. He promises that if only we will seek him, we will find him. Keep coming to him, to his wonderful grace that can fill up your emptiness, your ultimate and deepest emptiness. Uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul says in Colossians, this in the letter of the New Testament, he, he writes, for in Christ, in Jesus, all the fullness of God dwells in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. In Christ, you also have been brought to fullness. This is the, the big thing of this chapter. But what I want to do to kind of wrap things up is to narrow down to something else which is much smaller and much, much smaller but no less amazing and wonderful. There's something else here too. Ruth too shows us that God's great kindness gets expressed through the ordinary, everyday kindness of ordinary, everyday people going about their ordinary, everyday lives. That's what you see in Ruth chapter two. Uh, people take initiative, they accept responsibility, they step out to make the most of the situation. And, and it's all going on all through the chapter, but as we saw, and Naomi sees this wonderfully clearly by the end of the chapter, uh, by the end of the chapter, Naomi sees, through all of that, people coming and going, taking initiative, doing this and that, Naomi can see that that is actually the kindness of God at work in and under and through it all. Maybe you are not yet a Christian, friends. Maybe you are seeking, like Ruth, looking for some kind of fullness. And maybe you've taken a step to come here. Maybe you're here kind of almost by accident, maybe on a whim. But friends, God is in that. God is in that. It's not a coincidence. You are here for a reason. You're here because God is inviting and calling you into his people to take refuge under the shadow of his wings. Maybe you already know this refuge. You have come to know the kindness of God in Jesus Christ. Ruth too, I think, invites you to see your simple acts of Christian kindness for what they really are. Glorious participations in God's transforming gospel work. It connects the huge with the, the small and insignificant little things that we do every day. Glorious things. The situations we're in, the opportunities they have, that we have, they're not just chance, they are sovereign acts of the living God. God has placed us here. And these things are true even when we ourselves are running on empty, like Naomi. Uh, I think of a friend in Victor who came, uh, who, in a time of real emptiness for me, uh, came and just listened deeply, <laughs> gave me a hug, prayed with me and not before, but when asked, gave considered and really practical advice to me. He was showing his own kindness to me. Um, but there was, much, there was more than that going on. There was more than that going on. In my friend's kindness, 
it was actually God putting his wing over me, showing me his abundant grace in my emptiness. So friends, Ruth invites you not to undervalue those everyday acts of kindness that we give to one another, to see them actually as expressions of the great kindness of God, through which in his own time, he can bring about wonderful transformations. It's probably not gonna be clear to you at the time. Uh, Ruth, neither Ruth nor Boaz received some sort of lot, bolt from the blue telling them what to do. Uh, it probably isn't something that you can plan for, but it is something you can ask God to help you be prepared to give whenever the opportunity comes. So friends, knowing God is sovereign over all these things doesn't mean that we do nothing. It actually means that we do all we can with what strength we have and always trusting that God is in control, working all things for his glory and for our ultimate good. The sovereignty of God frees us to boldly and freely give out of the fullness that we have already received in Jesus Christ, our Saviour and King. Let's pray. Ah, oh, Father, what a stunning part of your word that we've had the, the gift and privilege and opportunity to meditate on today. Uh, such a simple and, in many ways, just an ordinary story of one family um, and different people going about everyday life. But in and through it all, your great sovereign hand has been at work and through it we see your kindness expressed. Thank you, our Lord, for your ultimate redemption that you have poured out on us. May we never forget it. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here, particularly any who are right now feeling just spent and empty in your gentle and patient and strong way, please will you help them to see your loving kindness. Put your wing over them. And may we actually be prepared to be those who can be that wing for one another. Uh, may you help us to see opportunities for us to ex extend your kindness to one another. And may that be a great and wonderful witness to this world of the deep transforming power of the gospel. And we pray that for your glory in Jesus' name, amen.